You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to go ahead and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. We have wrapped up uh, our Theophanies and Christophanies last week, uh, which were, were real-life physical appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. But now we're going to go from the real to the fake, all right? Uh, this week we're going to flip the script to take a look at deep fakes, a study of spiritual con artist. And we know as professing Christians, we approach this series humbly <laughs> because we are not without our own hypocrisy. We, even as Christians in the church, I got news for you. We're still hypocrites when we say one thing and do another. And so we approach this humbly, but we're going to look at some shady characters in scripture that went beyond deception and the broken repentance that should follow when a true believer sins. These folks, I believe, were genuine con artists. And some of you are familiar with what the world now calls deep fakes, meaning that AI, artificial intelligence computers, can produce uh, audio and video that looks genuinely like someone else. We've got one of these up here, um, a deep fake. It's so realistic that you really can't tell uh, the fake from the real one. We've come a long way since the fake mechanical jaws of those 70s and 80s movies, you know, where everything was simple. But now when you watch a movie, you don't even know if that's a real place on earth, right? I kind of like some of the old movies because I know wherever they're flying over, that's an actual place. But with deep fakes, it's getting harder and harder to distinguish between lies and reality. Wikipedia defines uh, deep fakes as synthetic media that have been digitally manipulated to replace one person's likeness convincingly with that of another. While the act of creating fake content's not new, deep fakes leverage powerful techniques from machine learning and artificial intelligence to manipulate or generate visual and audio content that can be more easily uh, deceptive. And there's a growing concern. Uh, because deep fakes have already been used in creating fake news reports. I mean, Vladimir Putin calling his people to war and, and presidents and all these things, hoaxes, sexually explicit content, financial fraud. Uh, they can take three seconds of your voice right now. I saw this on a TED talk. They can take three seconds of your voice and, and as, it, as you speak, the artificial intelligence picks up three seconds in and you can't distinguish the first three seconds from the next minute. Even with a song, Keith, they can take three seconds of a song and it can generate the song artificially uh, after that three seconds. So it's really unbelievable, the technology, all right? And so uh, the government, you know, you know, the industry and the, and the government are doing everything they can to detect and create machines that detect and limit their use. And friend, that's exactly what we're doing in our, service, in our series, right? We're trying to detect and limit deep fakes, even if we're one of them. All right. Maybe more than any sinful conspiracy or cult-like plan to destroy God's church and the faith of his children is the deceptive front 
of wolves in sheep's clothing, people proclaiming Christ, but denying his power and failing to continue in their faith. I think God said it best in 1 John 2, verse 18, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. And I'm not talking about someone moving and going to another church. I'm talking about going out from Christ. All right? There's a true story from God's word about a man who seemed to be one of us, uh, a good sidekick. That is until he tried to hijack a miracle of God for his own monetary gain. So I want us to read 2 Kings 5 together. These are the words of God. I'm going to read this whole thing, so hang with me. This is a great, incredible, true story. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and, his, and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now, the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Haman, Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends me word uh, to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. And when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him now come to me that he may know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, my father, it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and he stood before him and he said, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. But he, Elisha, said, as the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, uh, for from now on your servant, meaning Naaman himself, 
is calling himself a servant, is calling himself Elisha's servant, this great commander, will not, I will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. And I'll explain that hopefully next week, that two mule loads of earth. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. But when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, go in peace. I'll explain that part, I hope, next week too. End of verse 19. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, Kamikaze Gehazi, <laughs> the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this name in the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I'll run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, Uh-oh. There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill... He took them from their hand and put them in, his house, in the house and he sent the men away and they departed. Verse 25, he went in and he stood before his master and Elisha said to him, where have you been Gehazi? And he said, uh, your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to ask Melinda Keithley to come and ask God's blessings on our message today. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for all that you've given us, the blessings, material and non-material. Thank you for the wisdom that you give us through our challenges and the comfort in our heartaches. Please hover over us so that we may, so that our thinking and behaviors model the behaviors of Christ, especially his obedience to you and the love that he showed all, especially children, the infirmed and the social outcasts. Be with Went and hover over his words. May they illuminate a path for us to a stronger relationship with you and let us um, open our hearts and minds so that we may hear and learn something that brings us closer to Christ. Please forgive us of our sins and help us be more forgiving and tolerant of others. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Melinda. Amen. Kamikaze Ghazi. Church, there are some things you just can't fake. I and mean, even the greatest con artist uh, will reach a point where uh, the truth will be known. Uh, and many times that's in this life. You know, our, the, the, the fake reveals itself on this planet. But friend, it doesn't matter whether it does or not. It, you can't fake death, right? That's, you can't fake death. And you can't fake God's judgment. You're not going to trick God, all right? So deep fakes, they're like splinters in your skin. You're eventually going to snag them on something and know they're there. And so in 2 Kings 5, we have this 
these two main parts of this story. And I want to, I'm going to probably take two to three sermons to cover this. It's a lot of content. Uh, But I want you to see all of them as one sermon. First, we're going to cover the deep fake who became authentic. And then we're going to cover the seemingly authentic who became a deep fake. Sometimes you need to study the real thing so that you can spot the phony. And so first we're dealing with the salvation of Naaman. And the first thing I notice, and really the the core of what I want to talk about today, is the effort. The effort. And what I'm talking about in effort is the effort that God makes to cleanse, heal, pursue, and save just one man. Friend, listen. If you go to hell, you're going to have to jump into the ocean of God's infinitely deep grace and swim across it to get there. There is no way on this earth that you will go to hell without experiencing the grace of God first. And that's exactly what's happening here. God is never without effort in calling us to salvation. Second Peter 3 verse 9 says, Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And this is stingingly obvious in the salvation of Naaman. And so I want us to walk, us, walk through these markers of God's effort. And the first is the victories that God gave. Look at the victories God gave to Naaman. It's really interesting. Naaman's name in uh, ancient Syrian actually means gracious. And God was extremely gracious to Naaman. 2 Kings 5 verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Because Naaman was top dog of the Syrian army. That word commander actually refers to the highest ranking office in the land. He's called a great man, meaning a high, uh, he had high social standings, probably a VIP, if you will, maybe second in command of all Syria. He was highly favored. His peers seemed to love him. His troops seemed to love him. His servants seemed to love him. Imagine if someone today helped your, your team <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, win a victory or your nation become great. Imagine someone like that. I mean, it'd be free drinks at the bar, right? It'd be free food. What do you want? I'll give you whatever you want. You're my best friend. You've saved us. Naaman had great favor in his land. He was, a, in addition to that, Naaman was a mighty man of valor. A phrase used in the Old Testament that basically meant he was strong, efficient, and wealthy. So here's Naaman, loved, leader, capable, valiant, and rich. But why? Why? Because, because, because the Lord had given, the Lord had given, the Lord had given. Just chew on that a minute. Let that sink in. Apply it to every forward motion you've ever had in your life. Apply it to every goal that you've made. Apply it to every A that you've made on a test. Every good relationship, every accomplishment, every victory, every success in your life is owed to the Lord God Almighty. God gave him victory. And he did it because he had another plan 
that's far beyond the success of this world. Secondly, look at the people God involved. And this is, I want to camp out here for a minute today. Church, this is amazing to me that in the Old Testament, it's reading like the New Testament. Y'all know over in Romans 16, I've shared this with you before, um, Paul, in an attempt to kind of praise God for the collective body that is involved in building the kingdom of God, right? I mean, I'm not Piperton Baptist Church. We are Piperton Baptist Church. Together, we are a church. The reputation, I'm thankful, I was telling someone the other day, I'm so unbelievably thankful that people don't talk about me, they talk about you. When people talk about Piperton, they talk about the receptivity and how welcoming the church is, right? <laughs> and I'm grateful for that. And that's how the body of Christ should be. In Romans 16, Paul mentions 35 or 37 people by name who are involved in kingdom building. And, here, and that was 2,000 years ago. Back up another 900 years, because this is when all this stuff was happening around 900 BC-ish. And you've got this story. All these people that we're going to look at right now, lost and saved, who were deeply concerned with the well-being of Naaman and used by God to bring him cleansing. First, you've got the Jewish servant. 2 Kings 5, verse 2. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. So here's a young girl. She may have been in her late teens. She may have been in her early 20s. Uh, maybe her parents had been killed and they were you know, taking her out of that situation. Maybe she had just been kidnapped. Uh, my missions professor uh, just you know, 25 years ago, Dr. Howard Bickers uh, at MidAmerica, he, was, he worked among slave traders in the 70s and 80s, I believe, on the coast of Lake Victoria. Uh, people uh, in Africa trading their own people into slavery. And that's just in our lifetimes, many, for many of you, all right? And, uh, and so it's not hard to consider this happening. Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to consider, but it's not strange to imagine, right? But here's what I don't want you to miss that this Jewish girl makes the most of her situation. This Jewish girl, even in her point of distress as a servant to another, though she, I believe, was probably cared for, uh, she is giving glory and honor to God. And I don't want you to miss this, that she's living in such a way that Naaman's wife respects her enough to trust her, right? It's not just that she cares for Naaman's well-being. She seems to have a genuine heart. It's not just that she's bold enough to speak up as a servant girl. It's not just that she has faith so strong in the God of Israel that she knows it's going to work, but it's that she's been living with such kindness and character that she's fully trusted. Church, this is still a faith factor that separates the men from the boys today, all right? It distinguishes authentic faith when the genuineness of our lives, the transparency of our trust in Christ, leaves no room for doubt. How we live matters. It matters. I know we don't get to heaven by good works, but good works matter. Despite enduring the effects of a fallen and sinful world, this little Jewish girl set in motion one of the most well-known, nearly 3,000-year-old stories of Haman's healing. Do we trust the history of our Savior enough to put him to the test? <laughs> 
when our kids, when our spouse, when our uh, fellow students, when our coworkers come to us with a real need, do we tell them about our Savior who can fix it? Or do we say words like, oh, I am, I'm just so sorry to hear that. I wish I had a Savior I could call out to. I wish I could stop right here and pray with you. Oh, if I just had a God who could answer prayer. We have testimonies in our lives of answered prayers and we fail to pray for others. God help us. This little servant girl wasn't too scared to speak up. Oh, good luck with your problem, buddy. Good luck with that. Hey, I pray God blesses you, friend. You're not my friend. If you were my friend in Christ, you'd stop right there and pray for me. Don't tell people you're going to pray for them. I heard this from Adrian Rogers years ago, and I have employed it ever since. You ain't got the memory to remember to pray for somebody. I'll pray for you. No, you won't. You'll forget before you get out the door. You, you, you'll get a phone call. You'll get three texts. You don't even know where you put your glasses. So how are you going to remember to pray for somebody? And they're on your head, right? <laughs> so pray. Stop and pray with someone right then. When someone comes to your mind or your heart, Say, call them right then. We have the, with all the problems that phones present today, they do present a good thing. And that's the ability to shoot someone an encouraging word at any moment. I don't know how many people I talk to a day on average, 20, 30 people that I text, call, something like that. Just when you think of someone, text them. Don't be too shy to do it. This girl spoke up. By the way, don't ever think you're too young or too lowly to have a high calling from God because I promise you this, this little servant girl from Israel set in motion everything we were about to study. <laughs> Every bit of it came from her. Second, we have Naaman's wife. We know she was involved in the information trail because we read in verse three, she, meaning the Jewish girl, said to her mistress, Naaman's wife, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman's wife could have dismissed the information. She could have doubted uh, the faith of this Jewish girl. She could have actually wished the leprosy on her husband. You, too many of you women laughed just then, all right? All right? She could have forgotten about it altogether. But instead, we know she delivered the information to Naaman in such a convincing way that he acted on it. Verse four, so Naaman went in and told his Lord, that's the king of Syria, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. Spouses, just remember, you have a direct impact on the faith of your significant mate. And that goes whether you're in a dating relationship, engaged or married, you have an influence. And even if you're divorced, you can still bear influence over your ex. That's a fact. Well, anyway. That was a side sermon. Naaman himself is the next person, all right? Naaman himself. Naaman had it all, but he was a leper. He wanted to be healed. He wanted to be free of this disease. Church, Naaman really did have leprosy. But remember that leprosy in the Old Testament was representative of sin. And I love what one author, he, he summed it up. Uh, I'll summarize his summary. Uh, leprosy was an inward disease. Uh, even though you saw leprosy on the outside of the body, the real cause was from within. Matthew 15 verse 19 says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. So sin is just a symptom of a heart problem. 
Number two, leprosy was a repulsive disease. It could be felt. It came with uncomfortable numbness. And a lot of times that numbness would cause the people that had it to wear out their extremities because they couldn't feel the pain and the bleeding and the, you know, they didn't, they couldn't feel it and it would wear themselves down. And it's the same with our conscience. When we disobey and we make our own conscience numb, we are, we are wounding our souls without knowing it. Number three, leprosy was a separating disease. No one wanted to be near a leper. Now, there were different types of leprosy, but in general, it puts you in a quarantine lifestyle, ceremonially unclean, unable to go into the temple to worship. And friends, sin does the same thing. The Bible says, hey, if you discover you've got aught with your brother or sister, you need to go and make that right, then come back to the altar and offer your sacrifice. If you've got sin in your heart, that's why we read that warning in Corinthians every time we have the Lord's Supper. Next week, we're having the Lord's Supper, by the way. And men's fellowship, all you men in here are welcome to come at 8 a.m. Luke Kendall's going to, I believe, going to be sharing his testimony. We're going to have breakfast next week in the gym just for men. Number four, and maybe the most important, the leprous person couldn't cure themselves. During biblical times, there was no cure. There were only cleansings. All right, that's why 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can't get rid of sin. God's got to do that. Amen. He cleanses us with the blood of Jesus. We read in 2 Kings 5, 5 that Naaman went taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10, 10 changes of clothing. And by the way, a talent was about 75 to 100 pounds. So Naaman took 750 to 1,000 pounds of silver, hauled that over a long distance, worth probably close to 400 grand a day, and a shekel, a 6,000 shekels was about 150 pounds-ish of gold, worth another 300 grand. And with the clothes and, and the entourage of his uh, horses and, and, and everything, chariots, it was probably 750 grand plus that he's taking with him, hauled over land to him. So to say Naaman played a part in his healing is an understatement. Now listen, he didn't buy his healing. He didn't work for his healing. His valor and his gifts did zero to contribute to the Lord healing Naaman, right? But he still had an effort. By the way, church, uh, let me just tell you, you can't fix anyone that doesn't want to be fixed. The Bible says that God's got to give them a broken heart. You don't just go out and say, I'll take a broken heart. I'll have a broken heart. You don't pick it up off the ground. You don't buy it at Walmart. God's got to give you a broken heart. You've got to ask him, Lord, break my heart. Give me a desire to seek you because I ain't going to have it on my own. There's too many scriptures that says I don't. And so I believe uh, that God gave him this desire to be cleansed and it shows and he made effort on that desire. The Holy Spirit, that's, that's his part, but some part is on us. The Jewish servant, Naaman's wife, Naaman himself, and then uh, fourth, Syrian's king, probably Benadad II. All right, 1 Kings 15, 18 refers to Benadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus. And I believe this is probably his son, Benadad II. But either way, uh, in 2 Kings 5, 5, the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. All right, so because of the wars of men, 
that led to the plight of a faithful servant girl who cared for Naaman. Because of Naaman's wife communicating that information to her husband, because of Naaman's own concern for the disease, because of God's victories granted to Naaman that put him in good favor with the Syrian king, Naaman is just a few steps away from healing. Just four, y'all look at this, four steps. You go from servant girl to the king of Syria. In four, we talk about, you know, what is that saying? You know, seven, seven points of separation or whatever from everybody. Not in the south. And about three, three notches up, you're, you're a cousin. Just ask, just ask, yeah, uh-huh, Susan Kiro. She'll show you on her phone. All right? She's 13th cousin to most of you. I promise you that. <laughs> All right? So you have the king involved. Even if he was a wicked king, he was still part of God's plan and involved and he was involved in Naaman's salvation. And next you have Israel's king. I've got three more to mention. And one of these last three is Israel's king. Second Kings 5 or 7. And when the king of Israel, uh, by the way, Elisha's uh, public, uh, his ministry probably spanned about 50 years. And it, went, it, it spanned four different kings. Uh, Jehoram, Jehu, Jehoahaz, and Joash. Sounds like some of your families. All right? All the same letter, right? K. Cameron. Anyway, uh, Canuck, Canuck, anyway, but Jehoram is believed to be the one that uh, is speaking here. Uh, I think he's the one that read the letter. And he tore his clothes and he said, am I God to kill and to make alive? I can't do this. This guy's starting to, he's trying to pick a fight with me. Right? Now this is interesting. Because in one sense, we see the logical biblical thinking of the king. Like, hey, I can't go to God and demand healing. You don't just tell God what you want and he does it. What if it's God's will to not kill Naaman? I don't know the mind of God. So in one sense, his, his suspicion is good. But in another sense, it's kind of sad that so many other people, the Jewish girl, the wife, Naaman himself, the wicked king, and even Naaman's own servants, which we'll see in a minute, all of them seem to have more faith that God will heal them than Israel's own king. <laughs> uh, but he was in the people trail of Naaman's cleansing. And I think God was probably reminding Jehoram, uh, this king of Israel, who the real king of Israel was. <laughs> right? The Lord God, Yahweh, king of kings. So the Jewish girl, Naaman's wife, Naaman himself, king of Syria, king of Israel. And then we come to Elisha, the man of God. Boy, what a title. Wouldn't you love men to be called, you know, Mark a man of God, Cindy, a woman of God. Now, 2 Kings 5, 8, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, you big baby, why did you tear your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there's a prophet in Israel. And at first, at first glance, that looks kind of arrogant. I'll show that sucker, bring him up into my house. I'm about to throw down some miracles, right? But that's not, that, that's not the heart of Elisha. As a matter of fact, if you look at the text, Elisha never even goes out of the house and Naaman gets ticked about that. Matter of fact, when Naaman comes back, he doesn't even want the money. So Naaman is actively involved in humbling himself, and we'll look at the implications of that further next week, but he's obviously involved as one of the many conduits through which God healed Naaman. And the final folks we'll discuss today, people directly involved in the healing of Naaman are Naaman's own servants. 
Someone was hauling all that gold. Someone was driving those chariots. Someone was in the entourage of Naaman. He doesn't trot out there by himself. And it was these servants. And they had, just like the servant girl, they had such a reputation, even referred to him as father, that they talked this arrogant <laughs> commander out of, uh, into healing. He almost walked away from physical and spiritual healing because of his anger. Word to the wise, for we angry people in here. <laughs> you can walk away from a lot of God's blessings because of your anger, right? But the wise and peaceful words of Naaman's servants talked this arrogant commander out of his little temper tantrum, which by the way, God could have just struck him down dead like he's done in other places in scripture for, for shaming his own grace. But they convinced Naaman to follow through with God's prescription. We read this in 2 Kings 5 verse 12. Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Can I just wash in them, be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. By the way, he had come a long stinking way, right? He's come probably at least 150 miles, maybe double or more than that, which is traveling by land with thousands of pounds of stuff on, on in chariots and, and camelbacks and such, right? And so uh, he's ticked. He's like, well, I could have washed there. Why do I got to go another 20 miles to the Jordan River? Uh, but his servants came near and said to him, my father, it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? Aren't those good words, master? Aren't those good words? Won't you receive those good words? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan and that joker's life changed according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored and not just like it was before. It says like the flesh of a child and he was clean. Well, that's as far as I, I'm gonna go today. I'm thinking when I, I think of my grandma, Sarah, Vicky's grandmother, when she, just before she passed away, um, the nurses all commented on how her back, you know, was just like baby skin, just like a child. It was just smooth. And a woman who had worked and picked cotton as a child, and she just had that smooth skin. And God had restored and cleansed Naaman. And it was visible. And it was obvious. And I just want you to know something, friend. There's a lot of people involved in your salvation. God set about a lot of moving parts to get you where you are right now. And part of the gratitude of our hearts is, is and part of the maturity of our faith is to look back over our lives, bumps, bruises, divorces, pains, deaths, and to look at that and go, okay, okay, this is, these are God's milestones in my life leading me straight to the cleansing Jordan River. And that is what God has for you. God's not done. He's not done with you and me. It's only the grace of God that saves, but is also the grace of God that sends lots of people to us. I'm so, so thankful for the crew that went out yesterday. I heard such great testimonies. We even had, we go out and do care through prayer once a month and we just go out into the neighborhoods and I don't care what studies show. You can't knock on people's door anymore. There are people hurting everywhere. And even if you get a hundred doors shut in your face, there are people, we had people break down in tears yesterday in these door-to-door -door visits. Just care, we care through prayer. We knock on the door. We don't give material. We just say, hey, we're just here to pray. 
That's all we want to do. We're not here to promote our church or get something from you. We're here to give you something. We're here to talk to God for you, with you. And that happened. We even had a couple that, uh, a couple ladies that prayed on someone's ring doorbell. <laughs> I said, that's a, that, ought, that ought to make the internet, you know? I would love to see that on a viral video somewhere. Well, would you stand? I hope that you'll not only recognize the number of people involved in getting you where you are, the effort God has made, the victories, the failures, the things. We're, we're not done with the things God's, God's effort. We'll pick back up right here next week. There are more efforts he makes in this story to bring about name and salvation. But the people and the victories are God's. But I don't want you to just look back. I want you to think of you as one of those points of those conduits of God's grace. You are a conduit. If you're a child of God, you're a conduit of the grace of God. And I think, I'm thankful that we have people that share their faith, that encourage one another, pray with one another. You've got to show them how much you care before you can tell them how much you know. And I pray we'd be that people. Father God, we love you. We pray that today, if there's someone who doesn't know you, <laughs> that, that they would see this beautiful story told for three millennia of your saving grace in Naaman's life. And that they would recognize all the things in their lives that, are, that have led to this point. And they would call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised from the dead, we'll be saved. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Pray that if there are others here that need to join this church, they're tired of sitting around talking about Jesus and not doing anything for his service to live out the spiritual gifts you've given them. Every Christian is given a spiritual gift. And it's often as we seek to be used by you that we begin to notice and strengthen those gifts. And I pray that people would come and join this church, the people that you want to be here, genuine in their faith. God, I pray for others that may be imposters today and have been struggling because they've been an imposter. Lord, we just, even in our own city, we've had pastors that come forward in their own invitations and confess that they weren't really saved. And if we have some of those today, I pray that you would speak to them and let them act in faith into a true decision of repentance and faith in you. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.